0: CHAPTER Fourteen OF FROM THE EARTH TO THE MOON This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris Langston. CJLangston.com From the Earth to the Moon by Jules Verne Chapter Fourteen, Pickaxe and Trowel. Same evening, Barbicane and his companions returned to Tampa Town, and Murchison, the engineer, re-embarked on board the Tampico for New Orleans. His object was to enlist an army of workmen and to collect together the greater part of the materials. The members of the Gun Club remained at Tampa Town, for the purpose of setting on foot the preliminary works by the aid of the people of the country. Eight days after its departure. The Tampico returned into the bay of Espiritu Santo with the whole flotilla of steamboats. Murchison had succeeded in assembling together fifteen hundred artisans, attracted by the high pay and considerable bounties offered by the Gun Club. He had enlisted a choice legion of stokers, iron founders, lime burners, miners, brickmakers, and artisans of every trade, without distinction of color. As many of these people brought their families with them their departure resembled a perfect emigration. On the 31st of October, at 10 o'clock in the morning, the troop disembarked on the keys of Tampa Town, and one may imagine the activity which pervaded that little town, whose population was thus doubled in a single day. During the first few days, they were busy discharging the cargo brought by the flotilla, the machines and the rations, as well as a large number of huts constructed of iron plates, separately pieced and numbered. At the same period, Barbicane laid the first sleepers of a railway fifteen miles in length, intended to unite Stones Hill with Tampa Town. On the first of November, Barbicane quitted Tampa Town with a detachment of workmen, and on the following day the whole town of huts was erected around Stones Hill. This they enclosed with palisades, and in respect of energy and activity, it might have been mistaken for one of the great cities of the Union everything was placed under a complete system of discipline, and the works were commenced in most perfect order. The nature of the soil having been carefully examined by means of repeated borings, the work of excavation was fixed for the 4th of November. On that day, Barbicane called together his foremen and addressed them as follows. You are well aware, my friends, of the object with which I have assembled you together in this wild part of Florida. Our business is to construct a cannon measuring 9 feet in its interior diameter, 6 feet thick and with a stone revetment of 19.5 feet in thickness. We have, therefore, a well of 60 feet in diameter to dig down to a depth of 900 feet. This great work must be completed within 8 months so that you have 2,543,400 cubic feet of earth to excavate in 255 days, that is to say, in round numbers, 2,000 cubic feet per day. That, which would present no difficulty to a thousand navvies working in open country, will be of course more troublesome in a comparatively confined space. However, the thing must be done, and I reckon for its accomplishment upon your courage as much as upon your skill. At eight o'clock the next morning. The first stroke of the pickaxe was struck upon the soil of Florida. And from that moment that prince of tools was never inactive for one moment in the hands of the excavators. The gangs relieved each other every three hours. On the fourth of November fifty workmen commenced digging. In the very center of the enclosed space on the summit of Stones Hill, a circular hole sixty feet in diameter. The pickaxe first struck upon a kind of black earth, six inches in thickness, which was speedily disposed of. To this earth succeeded two feet of fine sand, which was carefully laid aside as being valuable for serving the casting of the inner mould. After the sand appeared some compact white clay, resembling the chalk of Great Britain, which extended down to a depth of four feet. Then the iron of the pick struck upon the hard bed of the soil, a kind of rock formed of petrified shells, very dry, very solid and which the picks could with difficulty penetrate. At this point, the excavation exhibited a depth of six and a half feet, and the work of masonry was begun. At the bottom of the excavation, they constructed a wheel of oak, a kind of circle strongly bolted together, and of immense strength. The center of this wooden disk was hollowed out to a diameter equal to the exterior diameter of the columbiad. Upon this wheel rested the first layers of the masonry, the stones of which were bound together by hydraulic cement with irresistible tenacity. The workmen, after laying the stones from the circumference to the center, were thus enclosed with a kind of well twenty-one feet in diameter. When this work was accomplished, the miners resumed their picks and cut away the rock from underneath the wheel itself, taking care to support it as they advanced upon blocks of great thickness. At every two feet which the hole gained in depth, they successively withdrew the blocks. The wheel then sank little by little, and with it the massive ring of masonry on the upper bed of which the masons labored incessantly, always reserving some vent holes to permit the escape of gas during the operation of the casting. This kind of work required on the part of the workmen extreme nicety and minute attention. More than one, in digging underneath the wheel, was dangerously injured by the splinters of the stone. But their ardour never relaxed night or day. By day they worked under the rays of the scorching sun, by night under the gleam of the electric light. The sounds of the picks against the rock, the bursting of mines, the grinding of the machines, the wreaths of smoke scattered through the air, traced around Stone's Hill a circle of terror, which the herds of buffaloes, and the war parties of the Seminoles never ventured to pass. Nevertheless, the works advanced regularly, and the steam cranes actively removed the rubbish. Of unexpected obstacles there was little account, and with regard to foreseen difficulties they were speedily disposed of. At the expiration of the first month the well had attained the depth assigned for that lapse of time, namely a hundred and twelve feet. This depth was doubled in December, and trebled in January. During the month of February the workmen had to contend with a sheet of water which made its way right across the outer soil. It became necessary to employ very powerful pumps and compressed air engines to drain it off, so as to close up the orifice from whence it issued, just as one stops a leak on board a ship. They at last succeeded in getting the upper hand of these untoward streams. Only, in consequence of loosening the soil, the wheel partly gave way, and a slight partial settlement ensued. This accident cost the life of several workmen. No fresh occurrence thenceforward arrested the progress of the operation, and on the tenth of June, twenty days before the expiration of the period fixed by Barbicane, the well, lined throughout with its facing of stone, had attained the depth of nine hundred feet. At the bottom the masonry rested upon a massive block measuring 30 feet in thickness, while on the upper portion it was level with the surrounding soil. President Barbicane and the members of the gun club warmly congratulated their engineer Murchison. The Cyclopean work had been accomplished with extraordinary rapidity. During these eight months Barbicane never quitted Stones Hill for a single instant. Keeping ever close by the work of the excavation, he busied himself incessantly with the welfare and health of his workpeople, and was singularly fortunate in warding off the epidemics common to large communities of men, and so disastrous in those regions of the globe which are exposed to the influences of tropical climates. Many workmen, it is true, paid with their lives for the rashness inherent in these dangerous labours. But these mishaps are impossible to be avoided and they are classed among the details with which the Americans trouble themselves but little. They have in fact more regard for human nature in general than for the individual in particular. Nevertheless, Barbicane professed opposite principles to these and put them in force at every opportunity. So, thanks to his care, his intelligence, his useful intervention in all difficulties, his prodigious and humane sagacity, the average of accidents did not exceed that of transatlantic countries noted for their excessive precautions-France, for instance, among others, where they reckon about one accident for every two hundred thousand francs of work. End of chapter fourteen.